These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources in partnership with the Nebraska Rural Radio Association. Promotional support provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine and partial funding provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Hello everyone, I'm Alex McAvigat. Thanks for joining us today on Market Journal. Bryce Dusket is on assignment. We have a special program for you this week. Nebraska Extension recently held its annual Women in Agriculture event in Kearney. We were there to get several highlights from the two-day event. Eric Hunt will join us later in the program to give us the latest forecast when it comes to the weather. But first today, there was a lot for producers to take in at this year's Women in Ag event. From the latest trends in cattle markets with DTN's Shaley Stewart, to stocking up on your mental health toolbox. There were a lot of topics covered at this year's seminar. We kicked things off by sitting down with the events coordinator, Jessica Groskopf, to learn more about what Women in Ag has to offer. We're at the Women in Agriculture Conference, joined by Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about the origin of this conference. Yeah, so our conference is the longest run university-led conference in the country. And it started during the farm crisis of the 1980s. And what the founders of this conference realized that when they were talking to farm and ranch families about bankruptcy, that the men kind of clammed up and weren't really willing to talk about what was going on, but the women were looking for opportunities to discuss what was going on and find solutions. And so that's how our event was born. And for nearly 40 years, we've had an annual convention. Okay, so that brings us to this year. What's going on this year? What are some high notes? Well, the biggest high note is that we have 380 women from across the state that are here. And so it's really exciting to have that many people in a room, let alone women who are willing to support each other. Mm -hmm. um, but more importantly, we have education. So our event has five general session speakers and over 30 workshops that happen throughout the two-day event. And just really glad that people are going home with the tools that they need to improve their farms and ranches. Talk about some of the topics that are being brought up this year. Yeah, lots of really interesting topics. So we've had a lot on mental health and well-being. We've had some more practical things like land leasing and um, injections for feedlot cattle. So there's a lot of cool things that are going on, both hands-on, but also a lot of that intellectual work as well. On the topic of the Women in Ag Conference, what do you ultimately hope these women take home with them? So our main job is knowledge, skills, and abilities, um, but we know that through knowledge, skills, and abilities, confidence will come and that ability to take those back to their operations. Okay, so summer is right around the corner. What are some things going on? So be checking our website for a few upcoming events. One is our book club. So every quarter we release a new book and we do a book club discussion with either the author or an expert. So be looking for that. Uh, we also have the Emergency Preparedness for Farm and Ranch Families Workshop, which will be taking place in March. 
And this summer, we are also bringing back our livestock-focused event mm -hmm. called Heard That, and this year it'll be in June in North Platte. Wonderful. Okay, we know you're a busy woman, so we'll let you get back to it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Never a dull moment for Jessica, for sure. You heard her mention there are some additional events being offered by Women in Ag, including a book club, as well as that four-part workshop series on emergency preparedness for rural families. If you'd like to learn more about these events, be sure to visit wia.unl.edu. We've also posted some direct links on those events, along with the story on the Market Journal website. Moving on, another group was present at this year's Women in Ag Conference. The USDA Farm Service Agency was on hand to help producers get familiar with all the different ways the FSA can help farmers, both new and experienced. We sat down with FSA Outreach Coordinator Bobby Chris Wickham to learn more. So Bobby, we're meeting here today at the Women in Agriculture Conference. A lot of today focused on outreach and talking to um, all of these women here. What does the FSA provide for those women? Yeah, you know, FSA has a broad portfolio of programs. Um, we are hearing from a lot of women at this conference who are stopping by our booth to ask us about uh, financing. So FSA has, Farm Service Agency has farm loan programs. Um, in particular, we're getting a lot of questions about our beginning farmer down payment loan program. Um, that's available for beginners, so producers who are, have been operating less than 10 years. Um, and then we also have our, call it our 50-50 joint financing um, loan program where we finance 50%, another lender finances the other 50%. Um, that's available to anyone, but we do use it a lot with beginning producers, so. We hear the term a lot, underserved producers. Mm -hmm. Who are you talking about with the Farm Service Agency? Yes, um, for Farm Service Agency program purposes, you know, women producers fit in that underserved definition. Um, beginners fall under that um, underserved definition. And then, you know, um, minorities, African Americans, and the Native Americans also fit in that underserved category. Okay. You think about the conversations you've had with the people attending this conference. What do you hope they take away? So I hope the takeaway for them is, you know what, there's opportunity for me at my farm service agency. You know, maybe they're um, struggling with getting some lending commercially. And so FSA is known as the first lender of opportunity for those folks, right? We um, maybe can make a loan that a commercial lender can't. We're still going to take you through all those things because we need to make a good loan. Um, but our goal is to uh, provide you some supervised credit um, and then graduate you back into that commercial market. Okay, those women who have had that conversation with you, how do they get started? What's the first step? Right, um, so the first thing is just think about what you wanna do, right? What is your plan? What do you wanna raise? How much are you gonna raise? Where are you gonna market it? What do you hope to get for a price? So kind of have a general idea of those things and then come in and make an appointment and talk to your farm loan staff at your um, local office about how to get there, right? And what we can do for um, you as an operator to help finance that, that dream. What are some challenges they're facing right now? Um, well, I think, you know, we're talking a lot about um, potential um, market impacts this year, price, you know, on a lot of things. It could be a little bit different than what we've seen. Um, so that might affect, um, you know, that bottom line and therefore um, what you're looking at when you're figuring out all the pieces to that credit picture. So that is something definitely to take into consideration and have a conversation about. Yeah. Um, for Farm Service Agency or really I would assume any lender, you know, 
paying attention to those numbers, close attention to those numbers, and then talking to FSA or whoever your lender is um, as soon as possible if you think you might be gonna have trouble is really important. Let's shift our focus to just general producers now. What are some deadlines, some things they need to be thinking about as we roll into yeah. the growing season? So our, our farm service agency offices are busy across the state with um, ag risk coverage, price loss coverage program, um, election and enrollment. ARC PLC is the main commodity crop safety net uh, that we have through the Farm Bill. And that election and enrollment period is going on right now and ends March 15th. Um, producers don't have to necessarily change whether they have ARC or PLC on their crops, um, but they do have to enroll with a new contract each year by that March 15 deadline. So if you haven't already worked with your county FSA office, please call them, get an appointment, get in and see them right away to complete that election process. All right, Bobby, I know you guys have a lot of programs to offer for producers of all kinds. Best way to get more information. Right. Um, First of all, visit your county FSA office. Um, I wouldn't be a good uh, outreach coordinator if I didn't mention the fact that all of your county offices, as well as the state FSA office, do an electronic newsletter each month. I know we all get a lot of email, but the email that you get from your Farm Service Agency office does contain really important information about available programs and deadlines. So it'd be good for you to at least give that a, a quick glance each month when that gets delivered to your email inbox. Bobby mentioned how busy FSA offices have been lately with ARC and PLC selections. If you haven't completed your enrollment net yet and you're still looking for more information on your options, we recently visited with Extension Educator Brad Lubin, who had some great insights on the topic. You can view that interview on the Market Journal YouTube channel at any time. We provided a direct link to that video on the Market Journal homepage. Livestock producers were among the hundreds of women who showed up to last week's event. We were fortunate to get enough time with DTN's Shaylee Stewart to get her insights on the cattle trends and the latest in the cattle market. Here's our conversation. Shaylee, let's set the stage first of all. What have we seen so far in 2024 for these livestock complexes? Terrific question, Alex. I'm so glad that you asked because 2024 has just really been an exciting year. We came out of 2023 with an aggressive, robust market, and we expected 2024 to be exactly that. But as we've gone through all of January, now we're realistically on the tail end of February. The market has surpassed our expectations, both on the live cattle and feeder cattle side of things, and even realistically on the bread cattle market. So 2024 has lived up to the expectation in which it thought it would hold, and really we're excited for the rest of the year as well. Okay, let's dive into that a little bit. Live cattle comp Complex. Yes. What is that market seeing? What, what are the factors? So really the live cattle complex is, is extremely bullish right now. Really we're, we're managing supplies well in regards to the feedlots and their show list. Now that, that market's going to be strong likely through the entire year. We're, we expect the market to see its greatest strength in the first half of the year. The second half should be strong as well, but we really expect that first half of the year to be strong. Right now we're just seeing an awesome environment in regards to feedlots because their show lists are manageable. Um, they're able to see tremendous tremendous box beef demand and packers, even though they've cut back on processing speeds just a little bit to help manage their own margin, we're still seeing good enough throughput that um, supplies aren't becoming burdensome. 
Okay, that's a good stage for the live cattle market. What about feeders? Ooh, I'm glad that you asked about feeders because that's potentially the most exciting part of the market right now. I don't care where you're at in the country, demand is strong. And one thing that I just really think could be the poster child for 2024 in understanding just how strong the cattle market is, is that understanding that as we sit here today in February, we are seeing grass calves for this upcoming spring and summer already beaten bottom. And that really comes down to two reasons. Number one, buyers don't believe that there's going to be enough calves to go around in this upcoming season. So they're already procuring their needs. They're already supplying themselves and, and just buying the calves that they need. And then second of all, if we get closer to grass, essentially, theoretically, prices should just get stronger and higher. And I mean, feeder cattle prices are already incredibly strong. And if they continue to get higher, they're wondering, buyers are wondering if they're going to be able to pencil in a break even on those individuals. So, you know, last year we saw an extremely strong feeder cattle market that gained anywhere from 56 to 70 cents um, per pound in the marketplace, but it's anticipated the USDA forecast that came out last week shared that we could see as much as another 30 cents tacked onto the high made last year in this upcoming year. So the feeder cattle market is extremely strong and cow-calf producers have a lot to be excited for. And that goes right into the bread market. What are you seeing in that? Well, it, it's just as crazy to me. I, you know, I touched on the strength in the feeder cattle market, but the bread cow market, it's it's been that too. You know, in the fourth quarter of 2023, we didn't see maybe as high a prices as what we thought. And I think that that just kind of came down to a factor weighing uh, decision-making process for producers. You know, they didn't really know what the winner was going to be. They didn't know what these prices were going to do. They knew that they were going to be strong, but what were the what were the hard logistics? And now that we've seen that the winner's been relatively open and favorable, yeah, there's been some really hard storms that have came through at specific times, but by and large, it's been a nice open winter and we're seeing these bred female prices be very strong. Shaylee, we'll get into an outlook short-term and long-term, but is there anything to note in the lean hog complex right now that producers should be aware of? You know, demand continues to be something that the lean hog complex is watching closely. And obviously, you know, with the with the note that China is reducing their uh, their domestic sow herd, that brings an opportunity to the market for U.S. producers that hopefully exports will be stronger and they take delight in that. Okay, let's look into an outlook, what producers should be focusing on, start in the short term. What does that look like for them? You know, if we just break the market down into maybe this upcoming quarter, I think that's something that cow-calf producers, I'll kind of speak to them individually. They really need to be watching both the live cattle market and the feeder cattle market. Live cattle in regards to, that's obviously who pays them, right? That's who procures their calves. That's who comes in and buys their feeders. And so if they're making more money, they can hopefully trickle that down. And so one thing that's going to affect feedlots gravely is beef demand, and thankfully, even though we're in February right now, which is historically a point in time in which we don't see strong beef demand, beef prices are holding incredibly strong. And then second, we do need to watch throughput, just simply because if packers start to manage supplies and build up supply around them, that's going to lessen their need to, to uh, continue to engage and support the cash cattle market. And so that could be problematic. But realistically, I think that the market just really holds a strong position and a foothold that will be its, its talking point for the years to come is that 2024 was just a robust and strong market. Now, as we talk long term, I think that cattlemen need to be aware that, you know, and always thinking one step ahead, right? Because that we don't want to be caught in the market's woes. And so the big question is, is when is the U.S. cow herd going to rebuild and how is it going to rebuild? And that's not something that we've seen yet. We've not seen heifers being retained yet. And so that tells us that we are either in a stale phase or we're continued in the liquidation. I believe that we are continuing in the liquidation phase because our uh, beef cow slaughter is still aggressive, not nearly as 
aggressive as what it was in 2022 or 2023, but we're still seeing cows come to town. And largely that's being uh, factored in simply because cold cow prices are still strong. Now, once we start to see that pendulum shift and we see producers retaining females, Per, uh, cow calf producers need to be aware about how that's going to shift the markets and its yeah. supply and demand mechanisms. But that's not something that's likely going to be on the forefront of anybody's mind as it's not really expected to hit the market until maybe 2025, maybe 2026. A big thanks to Shaylee for her time. We know how busy it can get for presenters at conferences like that. If you have questions you'd like to ask any of our future analysts, feel free to get in touch with us on social media or email us at marketjournal at unl.edu. We'll be sure to pass those questions along. Nebraska farmers and ranchers have been relying on their wind to power their lives for decades, going back to the windmills that still dot the pastures of the sandhills and provide water to the herd. But over the last 25 years, industrial scale wind farms with giant turbines have been expanding across the state, providing economic opportunities in renewable energy for landowners, but also altering the state's rural landscapes. What is the wind for farmers is the topic covered in the March issue of Nebraska Farmer. Well, it's that time in the program for us to turn our attention over to the weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, we've had near summer-like conditions and winter-like conditions all throughout just this week alone. Will things be any more consistent throughout the uh, next week? Thanks, Alex. Maybe we'll just have two seasons this next week instead of all four like we had this last week. Starting off, I just want to point out that there is a workshop for anybody affected by fires in western Nebraska at the West Central Research Extension Education Center in North Platte on March 12th at 630. Uh, please RSVP to the Lincoln Logan Logan McPherson County Extension Office if you're interested in attending. Uh, fire danger will remain high through this weekend, particularly on Saturday across most of the state. Uh, it will be quite warm on Saturday everywhere, and on Sunday we're looking to be quite warm in eastern Nebraska. We might hit 80 uh, to 85 in parts of southeastern Nebraska where the front passes through. Uh, again, there's a little bit of uncertainty exactly when that front will pass, but I think it should clear the whole entire state by uh, sunset on Sunday. Temperatures will be above average for most of next week, though. Uh, it'll be a bit more seasonal maybe than what we've seen in, uh, in the last two weeks. Uh, and the pattern is getting a bit more active. We are expecting to see some precipitation across the state later next week. Now, again, there's some uncertainty as exactly how this next storm system is going to evolve. Uh, but there is some signal for precipitation, particularly uh, maybe significant precipitation across eastern Nebraska as we move into a later portion of next week. And the CPC is also quite bullish on precipitation across a good portion of the state, particularly the eastern half of the state. Uh, CPC, again, is also showing warmer than average conditions continuing uh, through the middle of March across the state with uh, cooler temperatures possible, a little more possible in western Nebraska. Uh, again, we did have some record warmth earlier in the week across southeastern Nebraska. These are some of the earliest 80 degree on records uh, for, uh, say, Lincoln and Omaha. And then we had some significant temperature drops between Monday afternoon and Tuesday afternoon. So again, we had almost 60 or actually at 60 degree temperature drops uh, in parts of northeastern Nebraska between Monday afternoon and Tuesday afternoon. Uh, very little precipitation to speak of across the last seven days. Uh, did have a little bit of snowfall across the parts of the Panhandle, a little bit north of O'Neill on Tuesday. Uh, again, not much to speak of there. Uh, speaking of snow uh, water equivalent, uh, the North Platte headwater is just a little bit below the uh, long-term median, but again, uh, not too far off, so nothing to be terribly alarmed about. Uh, drought update, not much change from last week. About 25% of the state is still in drought. Uh, soil moisture, though, is starting to go the wrong direction, particularly here in southeastern Nebraska, where we really have not had much moisture here in the last uh, in the last say month or so and again if we take a look at uh, two week root zone percentile changes again there's a lot of red and purple on here uh, which basically means that you know we've we've dropped quite a bit now a lot of this 
is in the top part of the profile, uh, which is, again is why we are quite concerned about having wildfires across the state. You know, the next couple of days uh, because we've really dropped off the top soil moisture and you know, we have lots of dry fuel out there that could still burn pretty easily. Uh, so again, that rain that we hope to get this in the state next week is going to be very critical uh, for helping recharge the top part of that profile and letting some moisture back down into the rest of the system. Uh, soil temperatures across the state right now, mostly uh, mid 30s. Again, they dropped off a little bit uh, from earlier this week, but still mostly above freezing, uh, which is pretty good going to early March. And just want to point out that I helped to uh, host a conference this week called Harnessing the Heartland. Thanks and back to you, Alex. Finally today, agriculture can be both rewarding and extremely stressful. Often, as you know, at the exact same time, stressors like weather, livestock, commodity prices, they can tend to stack up on top of each other. Many producers tend to push through those adversities and not giving themselves any slack or grace. While it's important to have extra drive to push through difficult times, it's equally as important to recognize the balance between being tough and knowing when to take care of ourselves. After all, it is incredibly challenging to care for our farms, ranches, and families if we don't take care of ourselves first. Our next guest was on hand at this year's Women in Ag event to discuss the importance of producers building on their own mental health toolbox. Here's our conversation with MWell Consulting founder, Ashley Machado. Today we're having a conversation about mental health and Ashley, you had a chance to present to a number of women involved in the ag industry. 30,000 foot perspective, why is it important to address mental health in the ag industry? Well, I think of the, our industry and what we provide to the people, like we are feeding the world essentially, especially the U.S. agriculture industry. And for us to be able to continue to do that at the scale that we're doing at and being innovative, it's so important to take care of ourselves. And especially in agriculture, there's a lot of generational um, farm transitioning and working together with family. And that can essentially become extremely overwhelming dealing with different people's personalities, how they communicate, all these different things. And when we're not taking care of ourselves, when we try to approach those conversations, we try to go to work, we try to do all these things that can come become very overwhelming to do our job. And our job is very important. We're feeding people and everybody needs food always and forever. Like we're always gonna need to eat. So to be able to do that, we have to take care of ourselves. So you introduced this mental health toolkit mm -hmm. to people at the conference. What is that? Yeah, so our mental health toolkit, like I like to say like we, we have a toolbox, like every farmer or rancher, someone in ag, like there's a toolkit somewhere. It, mm -hmm. It's got shovels, wrenches, um, the hammers, like anything, a screwdriver, like anything, a tractor, you know, like we use all of these tools every day to make our ranch or farm run effectively. Now, what about the people who are running the ranch or farm? Let's have a mental health toolbox, a bunch of tools that you can access really easily that are free. We love free <laughs> as a farmer or rancher. And that it's like, okay, I'm feeling stressed. Let me do this breathing exercise. It's gonna lower my anxiety by 60% right now if I do this. Oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed with a lot that's going on. Let me answer these couple questions and write them down, uh, the answers down, and it's gonna help 
you know, work through that overwhelm. I'm going to help be able to process things more. Like just a bunch of tools that just help us be better humans, more effective in the workplace, better conversations, healthier, lower cholesterol, like all of these things that are going to help our well-being. And they're at the palm of our hands. You bring up a great point that when your mental health is good, it can also influence your physical health. Mental mm -hmm. health is physical health. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that aspect? Yeah. I think for a long time, it's getting better now, we've thought of our brain as separate from our body. But really, taking care of our brain health is essential for taking care of our mental health, which is essential for taking care of our well-being, like stress. You have stress, you probably have a high blood pressure, higher cholesterol. Um, if you work on your stress, maybe you exercise or you breathe through things or you pause, your cholesterol is probably lower. You probably are a little stronger. You know, all of these different things that, I mean, if you're gonna be in ag, you have to be doing them. I'm, in ag, it's not like you retire typically when you're 55. Right. If you are a farmer or a rancher, you may be working as maybe an older generation, but you're going to be on the farm or consulting on the farm for a long term, driving a tractor, sitting for that long period of time, that it's really important to work on your physical and mental health to be able to do that long term. So you think about, or at least I think about these these hard-headed farmers and ranchers across the state of Nebraska, man, men and women. What's your ultimate message to them to, to bring this idea home? Yeah, I just would say like, I wouldn't even want to say like someone is even like hard-headed, just like maybe these tools haven't been introduced to you ever or in a way that feels comfortable and change and growth feel uncomfortable because they're new. And because they're new, they feel hard, and that's what makes it uncomfortable, and that's okay. And we all, I mean, I think the in agriculture, the depression rate right now is around 32%, and that's just who has reported it. I know so many farmers and ranchers who haven't reported it, so they're not even included in that. We're one of the leaders in suicide rates by industry. Um, and so I would just say you're not alone. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling stressed and you think this isn't a big deal or I'm the only one, I can't talk about this, no one else knows, just know like you're not the only one experiencing anything like this. And these tools can really help to better your relationships with your family members your, and yourself. I'll leave you with this. If folks are maybe experiencing some of those feelings that you're talking about, those thoughts, what's the first step they need to take? I would say the first step that they need to take is to just give themselves grace. First and foremost, just take a deep breath and say like, I'm allowed to feel these feelings. It's okay that I'm feeling this way. Let me first talk to my loved one and we can work through this together and I can reach out to a therapist or a friend. Um, Psychology Today is a great resource. There's a bunch of phone numbers that people can call um, and uh, some websites that people can look to find therapists or people to talk to. But before that, just recognizing like, 
it's okay that I feel this way and it's not not normal. If you'd like to learn more about Ashley and the work she does around the country, you can visit her website at ashleymachado.com. There are also a number of mental health resources available through the University of Nebraska's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources Rural Wellness homepage. You can find that by visiting ruralwellness.unl.edu. That's going to do it for this week's show. A special thanks to all our guests and the coordinators of the Women in Agriculture for hosting us at their event last week. If you happen to miss one of our stories this week, be sure to follow Market Journal on social media to join in on the conversation. Bryce Duskett will be back next week. Until then, I'm Alex McAvicka. Have a safe and productive week, and thanks for joining us. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.